Well, church, it is good to be with you here and uh, excited to be with you today. Um, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to go ahead and take it out, head over to the book of Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15 today. I, I mentioned that we're starting uh, our celebration of Advent here at Houston Northwest today, um, and we are going to begin um, by talking about the hope that we have in Christ um, as, I, as we do every year, we have a devotional that's been written for us by one of our friends, Patty Carver. Uh, this uh, can be picked up right outside the doors uh, here in the worship center. You can also pick them up uh, around campus. Uh, we have several copies of these, so pick one up for you, for your friends, for your family. Um, if you have someone who would love to have one of these, but for whatever reason, they're not local, you're not able to get them one, then they can go over to hnw.org slash Christmas and they can download it. There's a PDF of it available there. So we're gonna have a, a lot of fun as we count down to the arrival of the Christ child and as we look forward to the second coming uh, here through this season of Advent, we're gonna be spending time in Colossians 1. So I'm gonna pray over us and then we're, uh, we're gonna jump in and ask God to bless our time uh, with us. So before I pray, I just wanna give a, a brief introduction to the Bible for those of us in the room who might be new to the Bible. Uh, the Bible's divided into two parts the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament gives us a record of God's chosen people, Israel, tells us about their need for a rescuer, a redeemer. They use the word Messiah. And then in the second part of the Bible, we find out who the Messiah is. We find out that his name is Jesus, that Jesus is born of a virgin, that he lives a sinless human life, that he teaches us the way that we were designed to live, called the kingdom of God, that he dies a sacrificial death on the cross, and that three days later, he's brought back from the dead. His disciples were so convinced that by that resurrection, he was in fact the Messiah, that they told everyone about him and this good news, which we're still preaching here today that God loves us, that he has sent his son Jesus as our rescuer, redeemer, as the chosen one, our Messiah, to give us the way to live, forgiveness of sin, the promise of eternal life, and the power to live today, and we can have all those things if we'll place our faith in him. That is the gospel message. So I'm gonna pray over us, and then we'll jump in here together in Colossians chapter one. So if you would, bow your heads with me and let's pray. God, together today, we come before you and we ask, let us hear from you. Lord, as we go into this season of Advent, we're looking forward, Lord, to you setting things right and, God, to, to shaping things, to sharing things, Lord, that we need to hear, that we need to experience. And so, Father, we lay our hearts and our lives before you here, the beginning of this Advent season. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for all these things. And we ask it in the name of your son, Jesus, that you would speak to us today. Amen and amen. Colossians chapter one, starting in verse 15. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. This is the word of the Lord. Well, unless you've been hiding under a rock, by now you've happened, you had to have heard about trailer. And by trailer, I mean Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, right? And we all know that they're dating. I mean, guys, we've reached a new level of obsession regarding trailer. Um, I mean, there was Brangelina, but Brangelina doesn't hold a candle to trailer. I mean, people are getting obsessed about this. They're writing scripts in their head about how uh, this could all come to be like the magical marriage we've been waiting on. The other day I saw a video of Drew Barrymore 
Uh, she noted that if the Kansas City Chiefs, the team that Travis Kelsey plays for, makes it to the Super Bowl, um, that uh, Taylor can make it from her concert in Tokyo in time to make kickoff for the game. Uh, she was looking like, at flight information, that sort of thing, in which then uh, Drew Barrymore then said, and, you know, so then at the end of the game, if the Chiefs win, Travis can get down on one knee and propose to Taylor Swift on the field, right? People are like amening this, right? So this is where we're at as a nation. Now, why are we there? I wanna be clear. I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing. I think, honestly, that people are fired up about this because, y'all, life is hard. Can I get an amen to that? All right, All right. And I think that we just like distractions. You know, something that's positive, something that's fun to look at and go, this looks like something happy. I'm tired of thinking about war in the Middle East. I'm tired of thinking about whatever kind of problems are in the world. It's good to just have our mind taken off the problems and to look at something good, right? At the same time, I think that we all know that distractions can end up maybe going a little too far. I mean, all of us have probably been at points in our life where we're just trying to make it through the day thinking if I can just make it to get home to X, whatever that is. And I think that, you know, sometimes those distractions can be innocuous. Uh, they can, you know, be, I just want to get home and binge whatever series on Netflix or scroll through social media or whatever. But I think we also can find that sometimes when we lean into our distractions too much, they can easily become addictions, can't they? They become things that take over our hearts, take over our desires. This is how people end up, you know, for instance, drinking too much at the end of a long day because it's, they've been holding on, waiting on that drink. I mention all of this because I think that whenever we read Colossians chapter one, verse 15, what we're actually seeing is we're seeing the foundations for the first gift of Advent, the gift that we get, which is known as hope. And I'm here to tell you today that I think that hope is far superior to any distraction we could ever come up with. Now, again, I don't think that all distractions are bad and it's good to dissociate for a while or whatever, distract ourselves, but I think that hope is more important than a distraction and this is why. Because all of us in our lives are gonna come to moments where we're gonna walk into difficult circumstances and no matter how faithfully or regularly we distract ourselves, we are not going to be able to deal with those circumstances because distracting them doesn't make them go away. Does that make sense? Hope is better than a distraction because hope goes with us into those difficult circumstances, into those dark moments, and is with us in the midst of that. Hope gives us a place to fix our eyes to help us walk through the difficult circumstances. Without hope, people despair. Without hope, people want to end their lives. But with hope, people have been documented to make it through the most difficult of circumstances because they know that there is something more. And that's what we have in the gift of the coming of Christ. So I want us to look today at Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 17, and see how Jesus gives us the gift of hope as we await for his arrival. So we're gonna look at this ancient hymn, this ancient song that the church used to sing there in Colossians chapter one, and we're gonna go through it each of the weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, and we're going to see the gifts that we have through the arrival of Jesus, starting with this gift of hope. So let's look and see why it is that hope is important for us and why it is that maybe sometimes we struggle with finding hope. So we're gonna start in verse 15. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Why is it that we can have hope here today? This is the first thing that I would say. Because in Jesus, we can know God. In Jesus, we can know God. So let me 
step aside at the same time and say, the reason that I think that oftentimes people do not experience hope is because they are confused about who God is. Uh, Maybe you've grown up in church or been around people, or maybe even you yourself has felt this, where you read the scripture and you look at the Old Testament and then you look at the New Testament and you think, well, these can't be the same God. And I think that people get confused about that or others of us living in a more pluralistic society. We're in a city like the city of Houston where we have every sort of faith that's represented around us and we think, well, I don't know exactly who God is because some faiths say this and other religions say this. How can I actually know who God is? And the answer is that God has showed us in the person of Jesus Christ. Theologians have a word for the Christian faith. It is Christocentric, meaning Jesus is at the center of it. Now, the Bible is important. The church is important. The Holy Spirit is important. I'm not denigrating any of those things. I just want us to understand that the church of Jesus Christ has to be Christocentric because Jesus is at the center of it all. The Bible in the Old Testament looks forward to Jesus. The Bible in the New Testament is unpacking everything about Jesus. Our faith is in Jesus. And when we read in verse 15 that he is the image of the invisible God, this is the thing for us. We don't have to be confused about God because he's given us Jesus. And this is the thing that I want us to hear today. I think that there are two things. There are two things here that I think that God wants us to take away so that we can understand exactly just how important, how beautiful it is that we have Jesus. This is what I want us to understand. First, that God wants us to know what he's like. God wants us to know what he's like. That's why he gave us Jesus. He wants us to know what he is like. Now, the scripture is clear. You know, no one's ever seen God. That's why we have Christ. So that in Jesus, we can understand what God is like. Have you ever met someone, and after you got done meeting them, you think, I don't know if they like me or not. I'm not really sure how they feel about me, right? Okay. I mean, I have certainly felt that way. Maybe y'all feel that way about me. I'm not really sure, right? But well, you, you sometimes meet people, and you're like, I don't really know what they're like, and I don't know if I can trust them. I don't know if they like me. I, I don't know what the sort of read that I have on them actually is. Jesus wants to make it, I mean, sorry, God wants to make it crystal clear who he is, and so he gives us Jesus. You don't have to wonder what God is like because he has given you his son. Uh, Whenever I go get my haircut, at the end of the haircut, uh, they hand me a mirror, they spin me around so that I can hold up this mirror and look in the mirror that's in behind me, and I can see the back of my head. You guys, I can never see the back of my head. But with this fun mirror trick, I can see it, because then I can see a place that I normally could not see. And this is what I want you to hear is that Jesus is the mirror reflecting the image of God back onto us so that we can understand exactly what it is that God looks like. But the reason that he is described as the firstborn over all creation is that we are to know that this God that's been given to us in the person of Jesus will one day inherit everything. In the same way that the firstborn son would inherit everything in the ancient world, Jesus being the firstborn over all creation will inherit all of these things. And so therefore we can know that this God is a God that's revealed to us in the person of Jesus and that he will receive all of this. So here's what I want you to hear today. If you have convinced yourself that God is angry, vindictive, out to get you, whatever kind of judgmental word that's in your mind, what I want you to hear is this. If you wanna know what God is like, look at Jesus Christ. Go, go read the Gospels. This is the nature of your God. It's a God that stops for those who are hurting. 
He's a God that cares enough to heal. He's a God that meets the weak. He's a God that wants to approach those that are often considered on the outside. If any of those categories resonate with you here today, good news, this is the God that we have been given. This is the God that is with us. This is the Emmanuel God, a God that sees you and wants to be with you. And if you're wondering, I don't know if I can ever know what he's actually like, you can. Pick up your scripture, read the gospels, see who Jesus is, and you can know what God is like. So God wants you to know what he's like. He doesn't want you to have any confusion. He wants you to see him there exactly. Now, here's the great thing. He doesn't just want you to know what he's like. He also wants you to know what humans ought to be like. See, that's kind of the intentional use of the word image there in verse 15. Uh, Paul is likely hearkening back to Genesis chapter one, verses 27 and 28. And in verses 27 and 28 of Genesis chapter one, that's where we read that humans were created in the image of God. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that humans messed that up pretty royally in a lot of ways through our sin and through our rebellion. So we get glimpses and glimmers of what God God's character ought to be and what humans ought to be like, but we don't get the full picture because we're often rebelling. But through Jesus, we don't just see who God is, we also see who we are intended to be. I think that sometimes people don't have hope because they feel like they don't know what God wants. Now, what does God want from me? How could I ever know? Well, the good news is you can know if you just look at Christ. If you look at Jesus, you can see the life that you were designed to live and you can see the life that God hopes that you will live. It's not just a life that shows you the character of God, it's a life that shows you how God hopes that you will live and how we have been designed to work. In the original creation, humanity rebelled against God, but in new creation, humanity is perfected in Jesus and does what humanity ought to do. So here's the beautiful thing. When we look at Jesus, we can see how God not only has his own character, but how he wants our character to be. And we don't have to be confused or be hopeless because we can know how we ought to live. You see, what happens sometimes is that we get confused about life because we get tempted by other things or distracted by other things or, or whatever. And because of that, then what we end up feeling is that we ought to go after the things that the world tells us are important or whatever those things are. But when we look at Jesus, we see the life that we've been designed to live and we can actually know and experience that. And so then we can experience hope because whenever you live the life that God wants you to have, you begin to know what hope is like. You begin to experience the hope that God has for you. So here's the beautiful thing. God wants us to join him today by living a life like Jesus so that we can make Houston look more like heaven. That's where that statement came from, right? As we look more like Jesus than we make the city look more like heaven because we're walking in the will of God wherever we go. Jesus was walking through an inconspicuous town and in an inconspicuous nation 2,000 years ago bringing about God's will wherever he would go. And you might think that your job is obscure or your family is obscure or your neighborhood is obscure, but God has placed you where he wants you and he wants you to be bringing about his will there. As we live the will of God, then we bring about the beauty that God would have for us in that place. Here's one of the things that's interesting to me. As we do that, as, as we live that way, people might think our theology is weird. I mean, they really might. 
but they will still appreciate the fact that we care for them and we love them. I mean, Jesus did some things that were bizarre, but people saw the heart and the purpose and the spirit of God on him, so they received that. What I think that we can see today is that if we live that way, then people will receive that as well. Uh, John Chrysostom famously said, the apostles were constantly attacked for their preaching, but never for their character. In other words, our theology may be odd, but people ought to see the love of God on us. And even if they think what we believe is weird, they would still respect us because they see us loving in a particular way. Now, we've been talking about this here as a church for several weeks. Um, we've got this thing that we've been talking about that we wanna do this year called Pray, Care, Share. And this is simply what it is. We wanna pray with our neighbors, we wanna care for our neighbors, and we wanna share the gospel with our neighbors. And we're asking everyone, if they would, to just log these stories on a website, hnw.org slash share, uh, because as you share these stories, which are anonymous, by the way, then they encourage us. So I just wanna share one of the stories that came in this past week, which I thought was really encouraging. Um, I'll just read it to you. Two weeks ago, a waiter dropped a bowl of soup on my friend's lap while serving us. He was in shock and felt terrible, he being the waiter. I'm sure the person who had the soup spilled on them felt, felt terrible as well, but for different reasons. I heard him whisper under his breath, this is the worst day of my life. I couldn't stop thinking about him, so I called the restaurant today and spoke to his manager. She said he felt bad about it for three days. I asked if I could talk to him. She got him on the phone for me. He was really happy I called. I asked if he was okay with me praying for him, and he said yes. I prayed that the Lord would bless him and bless his family. He said, thank you, and invited me to request him as our waiter the next time that we visit. Now, I want you to just think about this for a second. I don't know if the, the waiter is a believer or not. And that waiter might actually think that the theology of prayer is kind of awkward or odd. But did you notice that the waiter received the kindness? Why? Because the character of the person who called and asked, could I pray with you, was not called into question, even if the theology might be. You see, we're walking through the world, we might be living in such a way that people think what we believe is weird or odd, but whenever we extend the kindness of Christ, what do they see? Well, they see Jesus. This is the thing I want you to hear. In the same way that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, when we live the image of Jesus, then we actually help amplify the image of the invisible God into the world. God has placed the church into the world to be an amplification system of Jesus to show exactly how God would have us to live. This is crazy, but this is true. When you live, when you live by faith, when you live by obedience in the world, you often end up being the answer to people's prayers, right? When you sense the Holy Spirit telling you to encourage someone or talk to someone or help someone financially, or call them or pray for them. When you do those things, you end up being the answer that they have been praying for and you make Jesus visible. So the first way that we end up seeing hope brought into the world is whenever we actually discover that Jesus shows us who God is and shows us how we're supposed to live. So we can know God. That's the first reason that we can have hope today. Second thing I want us to see in verse 16 is that we can trust God. We can trust God. Now, the reason I think that a lot of folks don't have hope is because they don't trust God. Now, let's just be honest. It's easy to not trust God. If you've had bad things happen to you, it's not hard to get to a point where you say, God, 
I'm pretty sure that if you put me in charge, I could do a little bit better job. Has anybody ever felt that way? I mean, I know that I have, right? Um, or, or maybe you get to a point where you trust God, but there's just so much happening, it's almost as if we think he just can't handle it all. Um, you know, so uh, Joy and I sometimes have um, moments in the car where she will gasp. I'll be driving, uh, by the way, and uh, she'll gasp. And uh, I, because I'm, a very sec- I'm very secure in my manhood, I'll be offended whenever she does that, right? You know, and I, I may or may not over the years have made like some comment along the fact that said something like, you know, maybe, something like, you know, I've been driving around for 24 years, we've never been in a wreck, I don't know why you don't trust me, right? I can't believe I would ever say that. I know, I'm disappointed in myself too, you guys. All right, so here's the thing. But she'll do that, she'll, she'll gasp every now and then, she might grab the dashboard, you know, or whatever, right, that kind of a thing. And so I got so offended by this, I was just like, you know, I don't know why you don't trust me. And this is what she said. She said, I trust you, I don't trust everybody else. And I feel like that's the way it is oftentimes with God, right? You know, you remember that that story in the Gospel of Mark where the man says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief? It's like at the same time he believes and he doesn't believe. I think it's the same way when we're with God and, you know, he's driving. It's like, I trust you, but holy cow, do you see this over here, God? Right, I I trust you, but I don't. And this is the encouraging thing for us to read today in verse 16, and this is what I want you to hear. Let's look at this. Everything was created by him. We could just stop right there. Everything you see was created by Jesus. I mean, God the Father, the Holy Spirit are present at creation as well, but this is the thing I want us to recognize. Jesus did not show up to report on the job for the very first time in the manger. Jesus is preexistent. He is eternal. He was there when the universe was made. Everything was created by him, verse 16 says, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This is what I want you to hear today. We tend to think that there are things out there that are escaping the attention of God. And what he wants us to hear today is, not only do I see them, I made them. The the words there, the phrases there, dominions and powers, those Greek words are intentionally describing dark forces, like demons. Now, I don't know what your theology of demons is, and we can probably go far afield, so I'm just gonna give a very brief statement and say demons are most likely fallen angels that rebelled against God, in my opinion. Let's say that I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong, but let's say that I'm right. If that's the case, that means that Jesus once ruled peacefully over these demons, and now that they have rebelled against them, he still knows their character. He still knows their habits. Get this, he still knows their names. And they may rebel against him, but he is still supreme over them. They are not more powerful than him. And I think sometimes we get worked up. We look at world events and we think, oh my gosh, what about, you know, Russia or China or Gaza? Or we think, well, you know, these powers that are out there that are, that are, that are just super, you know, evil. Or we think, well, what about these diseases or or whatever we kind of whip up into our own minds. And we think, well, these things are so powerful. What's anyone going to do about them? And the answer is, I don't know, but Jesus made them. And what I want you to hear is that he's not only over the physical world, he's over the 
spiritual world and there is nothing that has been made that will not one day bow its knee to him and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what Colossians 1 says. So the reason that we struggle, I think, is that it's hard for us to sometimes believe that he is good and that he does good. Talking with uh, somebody recently, I mean, that was the confession. I mean, we, we, we kind of, you know, have you ever done the thing where you get past the behavior and then you start getting into the, the symptoms and then you start getting into the root motivation? Why is it that you're acting the way that you act? Why do you think the way that you think? And it, below all of that was this subtle theology that was there that was, I just don't know that God is actually good and wants what's best for me. And that's where Romans chapter eight, verse 28 comes in. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. He is good and he does good. That's why it's important to remember today on Christ the King Sunday, that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, that he is ruling and reigning. And while everything may feel as if it's spinning out of control today, one day he will return to make all things new and it will be peacefully, holy, completely glorified under his reign. God cannot be thwarted. I wanna say that again. God cannot be thwarted. He, he will not be stopped. And I think that some of us struggle because we say, well, God, I, I think that you want what's best for me, but there sure is a whole lot of bad stuff happening in my life right now. And what I want you to hear today is that that will always squelch your hope. But if you wanna turn the dial up on your hope, the best thing that you can do is rest in trusting in him. When you trust the Lord, now I wanna be clear, I'm not saying that you pretend like things are, are not going bad, but whenever you say, Jesus, I don't know why this is happening, but I'm trusting you in it, you can just watch your hope begin to go up. And when we trust in him, then we can truly hope. Verse 17. The last reason, the third reason today that we can hope is because in verse 17 we read this. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. The third reason we can hope today is because we can rest in God. And the reason that some of us don't hope today is because we're trying to do too much. I want us to think about verse 17 for just a second. It says that by him, all things are held together. So I'm not a physicist. Paul was not a physicist, but he had determined that if Jesus was present at the moment of creation, that means that he fashioned everything, go back to Genesis 1, from the chaos, right? John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word is Jesus. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Jesus is fashioning all these things from chaos, creating things. That means that without his hand, everything would just blow apart, including you and me. By him, all things are held together. So that's literal. But I also think it's probably metaphorical. 
Like, is anybody here ever guilty of trying to do more than you probably should? Just me? Okay, that's right. It's good. All right, I just wrote this sermon for myself. I'm glad to be up here today. So look, I'm telling you that I think that the reason that some of us struggle is because we're trying to write ourselves into verse 17, right? It says, by him all things hold together, and I like to read it, it says, by Steve all things hold together. Right, I mean, like, I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty talented guy. I kind of hold some stuff together. You know, and, and we almost hold it as a point of personal pride, don't we? When people say things like, well, Steve, I just don't know how you get it all done. You're like, well, you know, I am pretty great, you know? <laughs> and I think that we do that because we are enamored with productivity. And man, we push it on our kids, don't we? Gotta get in gifted and talented. You gotta be in the honor roll. You gotta, you know, play this particular sport. And if you do, then you gotta be in the select or the all-stars. If you're in the band, you gotta be first chair. You gotta get into the best university so you can get the best job. So then you can give your kids anxiety as well, right? Like that's what we wanna do. Like we, we try to push this cycle. We struggle with satisfaction, Right, we struggle with contentment. Why? Because we think that we're holding everything together when really Jesus is holding everything together. Like, I mean, I don't know where this started. Joy and I couldn't remember it, but like we, we have this thing that we'll say whenever we feel overwhelmed or just you know, frustrated, we kind of have like this joke inside phrase. We'll just say, you know, I just can't pull it all together, Joy. Or she'll say, you know, I just can't pull it all together, Steve. And um, I find that I... I'm ashamed whenever I, even though I'm joking, um, I'll say this to Joy, but I, I have like this little level of shame when I'm like, well, I can't pull it all together. And the reason I feel ashamed is because I tend to think of my abilities being far greater than they actually are. And what I want you to hear today is that the great truth, the reason you can have hope is that you don't have to pull it together because Jesus pulled it together. Like, I just want us to recognize that this attitude of achievement and productivity, it just worms its way into our theology, doesn't it? So then we're impressed with the people who do the most spiritual activities. You know, the people who go on the mission trip or the people who have memorized the most scripture or the people who preach the best sermons or the people who you know, write the best books or the people who you know, do the, the best worship leading or, or whatever the spiritual activity is, is like, you know, we gotta get, get on the hamster wheel and really get it going. The gospel message is that you do not impress God, but he loves you anyway, right? Like I tend to think like, okay, God, I kind of pulled it together. Check me out. And he's like, yeah, you're a mess. <laughs> but I love you anyway. How did, how did God pull all things together? How does he hold all things together? Through the cross and the empty tomb. You cannot be good enough to impress God, but he doesn't want to be impressed. He's already demonstrated his desire to be present with you by giving of himself on the cross. Any God who would allow himself to experience death so that he might have union with you is greater than any God I could ever imagine. By him, all things are held together, including my relationship with him. Like, I don't hold my relationship together with God. He's holding it together through Christ. 
the empty tomb. It's there when Jesus gets up out of the grave and death is conquered that he declares, not only will we be bound together in this life, but we will be bound together in eternity because I have conquered death. All things are held together by him, including us with him into eternity. We are bound together with Jesus. And this is the thing that I want you to hear today is that whenever you feel overwhelmed, whenever you feel anxious, whenever it feels like life just keeps piling it on, I don't want you to hear that you don't have to do your job. I don't want you to have to hear that you don't have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. I don't want you to hear that you don't have to keep going. But at the same time, I also want you to hear that you do not have to impress God in the middle of that because he sees you, he loves you, and he's carrying you. Whenever I was a kid, I mean, whenever I, uh, our kids were young, rather, and uh, you know, we'd do stuff with them. Yeah, we'd, we'd take them and drag them on these activities, you know, go to a, try to go to an amusement park or go to a baseball game or you know, go on a family vacation. Um, you know, there would always come that moment where you could tell they were done, right? And um, you'd say, you know, maybe we just ought to take a nap or we ought to rest. And kids always say the same thing, right? They, they like to scream it while they're crying. They say, I'm not tired, right? And then usually, I pick up one of the boys, hold them, and then they would fall dead asleep. Because when they could finally rest and know that someone had them, then they would stop trying. And I think that some of us in the room right now are looking at life and are feeling overwhelmed and feel like we don't have any hope. And God is saying, just come to me and rest. And we're saying, I'm not tired. I, I got it. And it's comical because it's clear to anyone looking, you do not have it. And he's saying, I, I can get this. I can carry you because I hold all things together. I hold all things together. This is what it means for us to find hope in Christ. That we can know who he is, that he, that he is the God revealed in the person of Jesus found in the pages of the New Testament. And that that God is loving and kind and sacrificial and gracious and forgiving and wants us to be with him. That we found a God that we can trust. That even when it feels as if life is going sideways, he does not give up on us. But he's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We can trust him even when we feel like we can't. And we can rest in him. Because while this life is hard, we will be unified with him for all of eternity and we can start today if we'll place our faith in him. This God came once to give us hope. He will come again to give us hope. Let us turn to him. Amen and amen. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we give you praise in this place. We thank you. Lord, we ask. Help us to see, Lord, how we can experience hope. God, I pray that for those in this room who have yet to, to know you through the person of Jesus, they would do that today. God, that those who have yet to trust you would do so today. That those who have yet to rest in you would do so today.
And God, if there's any who have yet to place their faith in, in Jesus for salvation, that they would do that today. In fact, nobody looking around, I just wanna ask, if you're ready to place your faith in Jesus for the first time today, you're ready to say, you know, I'm, I'm ready to follow him. I'm ready to say yes to him. Would you just raise your hand up so that I could pray for you? I just wanna pray for you right now. I'm not gonna draw attention to you, but I would love to pray for you in this moment. Is there anybody here in this room? Okay, I, I can't see anybody, but there might be someone, so I'm just gonna pray. Lord, thank you for those who are saying yes to you. And God, I pray that you go before us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the hope that you give us in the person of Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you have any questions about what you just heard, we'd love to talk with you. You can get connected at hnw.org about what we believe or how to join a small group or follow us on social media as well. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'd love to see you soon.